This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. All right. Zach Maxlani, welcome to the uh, Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Zach is a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Eddie Bravo. You are a, uh, a school owner. You are the, uh, the CEO of Finishers Enterprise, which we were just chatting about briefly. <laughs> You're based out of uh, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, yeah. You're a businessman. You're an active competitor. Uh, I've watched you a few times, actually. Um, a very close friend of mine, a mentor, uh, is um, Matt Cully, who's the founder oh, okay. of Okay, Yeah, yeah. Matt's the man. I've been talking with him a lot, actually. Yeah, so Matt is... Um, one of the black belts and, and owners, co-owners of, of my academy, Budokan Martial Arts. Oh, nice. Um, I've been there then too. So Yeah, nice. For weigh-ins? Yeah, for weigh-ins. Yep, exactly. A couple Fantastic. times. Fantastic. And I'm also uh, a close friend of uh, Rich Byrne, the oh, CEO okay. awesome. of Sai. And so um, I've watched you compete on both of those promotions. Awesome. Yeah, dude, Those both of those guys too are really, uh, really awesome guys. I learned a lot from both of them actually, just watching them operate and, um, you know, just be cool. It was always cool, like to get a, you know, to get an email from Rich or, you know, even when I'm doing something that's not uh, in, you know, his show, he would always be like, Hey, I'm watching you, you know, good luck or whatever. Good luck to the team. So I learned a lot from those guys. Those are awesome shows. Yeah. Rich is a great guy. And I, I really hope to have Matt on here. Shout out to Matt Cully. Uh, Matt has been a really great friend over the years. And um, I, I, there's a famous story I tell about him when I, was going and get it when I had my blue belt and I disappeared for a couple months. And he, he called me and you know got me back on the mat and he was like, you know, if you're not ready to go back to class, come. I'll, he trained with me. You know the the ego associated with you when you're coming off an injury and you just don't want to get beat up. So he's done that for me uh, two notable times in my life, and so really appreciate Matt and everything he does. And he's a busy guy like oh, yourself. Yeah. Exactly. So just, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background in jiu-jitsu, how you got started, your, uh, your businesses. Um, so, yeah, I started uh, martial arts when I was a kid, like around 12 or 13. Uh, I started a place called Master Glacier Karate out here on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, Master Glacier was sold to – it was a big, big taekwondo organization. And then they were sold to Tiger Showman's. Most people quit. And then, um, you know, me and my, my old – my first ever sensei, Sensei Villafane, um, he still runs Tiger Showman's out here in Bethlehem. And uh, I trained there for many years. I started doing MMA with them. And, uh, you know, I got to like my mid-20s and I kind of took a break. And, um, you know, I just I left the organization. I was kind of just doing my own thing, training here or there. And then, um, honestly, I just I went through like a, a breakup and I was, you know, kind of down and out. And I just decided if I was ever going to get into martial arts, um, 100%, you know, in my late 20s, this would be the time to do it. So, and then, uh, yeah, just jumped in, you know, head first. I was always kind of training with Eddie Bravo and the guys in 10 Planet. And um, once I got in with him and, you know, ever since, uh, you know, I got my black belt and, you know, just kept competing, it just, just things have just been opening up like opportunities. And, you know, some of them I have to kind of drive myself into and make them happen. But like ever since, you know, just growing up through all that stuff, I, I learned from all the different things I did and then just trying to get into everything now, it seems. That's kind of what Finishers Enterprises is, you know? Yeah. Explain Finishers Enterprises a little bit. Yeah. So like, um, so I wanted to, uh, when we, you know, after I got my, uh, you know, after I started training with Eddie and uh, me and my partner, J.M. Holland, uh, we decided we wanted to open up our own school here locally. And we felt there was a need for, you know, uh, you know, 
jujitsu in the area for sure, especially no gi because we we're, we're Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania is uh, a huge for um, uh, uh, wrestling. Like if you if you know this area, like this right. is a crazy wrestling area. The guys who don't make the high level wrestling teams are the dudes who you don't you've never heard about, but they'll still throw around wrestlers from other areas. It's yeah. like uh, you know the guy's dad's dad's dad was a wrestler. You wrestle. So we get a lot of those guys. So this area, we figured, okay, a lot of those guys might not wear the gi, but, you know, we do no gi, uh, and we bring that here with, like, more of an MMA style, and I think a lot of people would be into it. So um, we were already, I think at the time, we weren't ranked in, in 10th Planet yet. We were just, I was like a 10th Planet Ronin, and I used to travel out to California to train with Eddie and stuff, and then uh, we decided to open up our own school here. We just didn't want to call it 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu because – we wanted to have everything, you know, we wanted to have, uh, you know, since we trained at Tiger Showman's for many years, you know, I did the golden gloves and uh, kickboxing matches and MMA fights. So I wanted to be able to, to still incorporate all that stuff. Like, yeah, there's going to be a big need for jujitsu, but why not have MMA? Why not have kids class? Why not have kids kickboxing? Why not have all these different things? And uh, so we decided to call finishers MMA instead of just 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. A lot of people who aren't in the game have, are so confused. Like new parents that are like, their kids are all into it. They're like, so explain to me finishers and 10th Planet. I don't get it. And it's always <laughs> like a conversation I have to explain, but it's cool because it gets, you know, it gets me talking with people and they get to know more about what we're doing and everything. And uh, yeah, and then Finishers Enterprises, like we have a tournament. Uh, we have a submission-only tournament we do too, um, you know, where we do tournaments similar to EBI. Um, and, uh, you know, we have that, we have like, um, a podcast we do, you know, so there's all these different things. Like we just call it finishers enterprises. Like it's like a million different little avenues of making a little bit of money. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I think it's like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like the guy that can maybe do the quick hitter deal where I'm going to make like, uh, you know, $50,000 in one shot, but you know, we might be able to make it with all these little different things. So as a joke, we just called it finishers enterprises, but people seem to, like that. So we're going to stick with it, I think. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I like what you're doing. Uh, you know, we're in such a young industry over here. It's not my industry. You know, I'm just um, a participant, you know, I'm not a hobbyist, you know, because it's my life. You know, I really this is such a big part of my life, martial arts and, and jujitsu specifically. But um, but I don't make money off of jujitsu. I make money from my, my career. But I love talking to guys like you who are just hitting singles, hitting singles, hitting yeah. singles, you know, showing up to the mat every night. And it's like, do a tournament here, uh, throw a podcast here, throw an event, do a kid's class. So uh, really just excited to, to watch that happen, to know that, you know, people can actually make a living now uh, pursuing their dream and doing and doing what they love because uh, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly not easy. Yeah, especially especially in jujitsu because like in, in a lot of sports, you know, you can get paid. Even, but I mean, even if you look at UFC, some of the guys are not getting paid. You know, there's always arguments about some of the guys are getting paid five thousand dollars. And you know, when you do a jujitsu match, you're like, you know, holy shit, what is an MMA fight going to be like? You know, I'm going to be beat up after that. And if you break your wrist or you know all these different things you have to deal with. And in jujitsu, there wasn't really, you know, you have to still even to win the finishers tournament or to win Rise or to get on the card and Kasai, like the undercard really doesn't get paid, you know? Yeah. So you're just doing it to get your rep up and to possibly get a spot eventually uh, on the main card. And even those guys, like I know Rich, you know, and Matt are, you know, two exceptional, um, you know, promoters and they make sure a lot of the guys get paid, but you know, not everybody can get paid. 
you know, yeah. and then in Kasai, like only so many guys are going to get it and the winner. And then those are kind of the best of the best. So a lot of people like looking at it from the outside, you know, if your parents, if you were like trying to explain to your parents about how you're going to make money in jujitsu, they would be like, don't do it. There's no, how are you going to, you know, unless you're Gordon Ryan or unless you're, you know, a guy who, you know, gets, you know, really good success, it's going to be tough, you know, and even those guys sometimes, you know, but I, I feel like it is really all about, it is really all about the hustle, you know, like you said, like just hitting singles and um, even in just jujitsu training itself, most of the time, like people ask me, like, how do I get better? How do I get good? Every guy I've asked, Eddie Bravo, we used to train with Daniel Gracie, asked him, um, uh, you know, I'm sure we've asked John Jock, like we've asked every guy that we've ever trained with, how do I get better? You know, I roll with, you know, Daniel Gracie would beat the crap out of you. And then I'd be like, how do I get better? And he would, it would be frustrating because at the time I didn't know it was like a purple belt. And he would say, you know, it's mat time. That's it. You just got to be on the mat. And you, you kind of want that, like do this and you'll make money or do that. And you'll make money or just, you got to do it this way. But like every town is different. Every school is different. Everybody's style is different. Um, you know, so it's like, you just have to like show up and keep finding the avenues of ways to get it, you know, just mat time. You know, I, I see when I tell guys, I see in their eyes when they're like, Hey man, how do I get good at leg locks? Like I see, I get leg lock all the time. Like, yeah, you can watch all the DVDs and buy all that stuff. Um, but eventually it's just going to be a matter of, you know, who's on the mat, someone who trains and is popping in business six, seven days a week, you know, training smart is always going to be better than someone who's doing it once a week. You know, yeah. um, it's, it's just huge to understand that for me anyways. It's one of the most, uh, simple and hardest to believe for a beginner that yeah. they're actually just going to have to show up for a very long time and you're going to suck and you're always going to kind of feel like you suck. And if you're doing it right, there's almost always someone else who's going to make you feel like yeah. a beginner. And the, the beautiful part of it comes when you can accept that and, 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 and begin to enjoy it. You keep the chip on your shoulder and you say, I still want to be the best. I still want to get better than that guy. But, uh, it, you know, that happens to me in business a lot. Yeah, a lot sure. of times, young guy, that was the, the, the evolution of this podcast and this book that I'm writing is that these guys were coming to me over and over and over again, and they had some dream, some business idea, some career that they started. You know, they, they were in their third or fourth year as a realtor, or they start, they had a, a side hustle where they had a t-shirt business and they want to make it their full-time gig. And they're like, they don't understand why it's not happening for them. And it's basically the same answer. It's like, you need yeah. to give more time. You know, you need to work harder. You need to, and then the thing that jujitsu taught me, which is really going to be a, a core aspect of this book is that jujitsu gave me a framework for technical improvement to mm -hmm. actually not just show up every day and just go through the motions because in business, you can fool yourself with, you're working hard. You're really busy. You're taking meetings, you're making phone calls, but you're actually not getting better. And so with jujitsu, you feel it because you're sparring. It's like, oh no, there's a guy, he was a four stripe white belt and now he's a two stripe blue belt and I'm still a one stripe blue belt. Why am I not getting better? Mm. And so the, you actually can filter that through technical improvement. And I brought that with me into business and, um, and it's been just, it's been so impactful. So I love that. Do you, yeah. Are you a technical player? Like, are you someone who really obsesses about the technique and like getting better technically? Yeah, I like that a lot. Now, I, I, I drill more now than I ever uh, did. Like a lot of times when I was younger, I thought I'd just go in there and, like you said, go through the motions, get my ass kicked, fight hard, 
and then I'll come out on top. But then I started like really getting into, you know, I was into other sports when I was a kid and I always liked the idea of like for in football and baseball, just the strategy of it, you know, the strategy Mm. of the whole point. So later on in my jujitsu training career, like I started getting more into like the actual deep technique. Like I'm a big John, I like, you know, obviously I'm, uh, you know, ranked under Eddie and Eddie is my coach and, and he's done so much for me. And, and he's, a, when he gets going, he's like, a, I mean, it's like a science thing. Like he's just like, you know, and legs are flying and you're like, whoa, okay. Like, and then he might say something to me that, you know, I don't really trust right away. But then later on, I'm like, dang, that was two years ago. I should have did that. You know, but like, I'm a huge John Jock fan because I like the simplicity stuff, but I also like the, the technical stuff where some people's like, just show me the move. But if like John Jock's like, I grab here and then I grab here. I'm like, dang, I'm like, that's huge. You know, I love that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah. so I, I, I like, you know, like uh, with our students, like, I, you know, I like breaking down the game. I watch, I like watching stuff and then I'll go, okay, if, if I, you know, it happened for me a lot. Like, okay, this thing is a thing I constantly lose by. Now I have to figure it out. I have to um, hone it in. And then, and then I think, um, long-winded explanation, but I think this happens for a lot of MMA fighters and competitors at the end of their career. So they have, in the beginning, they don't have the technical knowledge and they don't have the know-how and they don't know how to work smarter. Like you said, doing all these different things, not really, you know, being able to put the whole game together. But later in their career, you know, they got the know-how they know how to work smarter, so they don't have to train as much, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but the problem with that is, is now they're later in the career, the body is broken down from years of getting beat up and stuff. So I feel like that's why you see still a lot of guys where they think like, man, I could still do it. Or, you know, in the room, I'm beating these guys and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. But, you know, their body just didn't, you know, uh, keep up with them. Maybe someone who starts later in the career and didn't take all those beatings could probably last a little bit longer. But I feel like that's, you know, I retired, er, er, you know, kind of early from training, like, I, you know, like a year or two ago, and I have scoliosis and stuff. And I still train a lot. So I still have that ego and like the competitive fire. And I think I could do it. But then sometimes I'll roll with the guy and I'm like, you know, oh, yeah, that's that. That's why. But I'm learning now with the, the how am I going to keep up with these guys? I can't just go in and bulldoze everybody. Like, how am I going to keep up with these young beasts that I'm training, purple belt guys, or just, you know, just, you know, if a, a random school comes through our, our, uh, our, our dojo, like I want to be able to, you know, I'm one of the owners, like I'm the black belt there. Like I have mm-hmm. to, and you know, like, so that ego is still there. So I have to learn how to be more technical and like really work smarter, you know, like I'm doing strength conditioning twice a week. I, I, I'm starting, I'm through in one day of a, uh, I'm just hitting mitts with one of our boxing coaches just to kind of switch it up. And I'm doing a little less rolling, but I'm getting smarter, like with the training to keep my cardio up so that way I can still compete with these guys. But I'm getting, you know, I'm figuring out the technique and trying to keep my body, you know, at the same, you know, same level. So I still can compete. And then with business stuff, I kind of just, I feel like I kind of just did the same thing. Like there were mornings where I'd wake up and I find that I'm just talking to people for hours. And I'm like, well, I didn't even get anything done. Like I talked to people, but I didn't really make any money and I didn't really further my business anyway. So I'm like, okay, I need to start shutting down or at least now that I'm getting more inquiries for stuff, I need to like, you know, be okay with saying no to some stuff. So I'm kind of like getting my business technique a lot better. Like I'm really trying to, okay, I need to do this stuff at this time and then take my breaks and all that stuff. But I'm like trying to do the same thing. I'm like, Oh, if I was doing jujitsu, I would do this to, to help, you know, 
get better, you know, yeah. and I doing that in the rest of my life, you know? Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons why I was asking you about technique and that you said it was long winded, but I thought it was great and spot on. I'm just going to share my screen again for one second. Yeah, is yeah. that uh, you have um, recorded with the BJJ fanatics guys. Oh yeah. Um, Mike Zenga, who's been a contributor to this podcast, such a great guy. That was a really fantastic podcast and he has so much to offer. Um, you, you're, you're putting out video content. That's yeah, yeah. great. Uh, what's it been like working with uh, the BJJ Fanatics guys? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Mike Zenga's the man, dude. He's helped us out a lot with stuff. And, um, you know, just, you know, we did make, uh, you know, we did, we do make money off selling those DVDs. But even if we made no money, just the cloud alone to have our DVDs next to the, all the top guys that are ABCC champions, all this stuff um, is, is huge. It's a great, you know, thing for me, you know. And I know a lot of people have BJJ Fanatics DVDs, but only the, really the guys who are able to, not just the best guys, but the guys who are able to actually put down in a in a series of what you're actually teaching. You know, one we did the 10th planet warm up, so thankfully Eddie Bravo let us do all the warm ups so we can get those out of. Um, mm -hmm. We have another DVD out, and I have another one that um, is being edited right now. It's a leg lock defense DVD that'll be coming out with BJJ Fanatic soon. Nice. Um, that one going, yeah. So it, it, that really makes me think. I mean, it's a great business thing, and like people love the DVDs, and I also feel with that like it's i'm not like um it's not like a cheesy thing where i'm ripping people off that are paying me money like i'm giving them everything i got in those dvds like that's stuff that's either worked for me or i've seen it work or whatever so when people buy it i i feel good about it i'm like oh thanks for buying my dvd like let me know if it helps you or if, if there's anything if you have any questions let me know you know and, and uh, those guys like they taught me a lot about just how they treat the guys who, who teach there it's like when you go to do a DVD, they really take care of you. Like they, they fly you in, they give you a hotel, you know, they're, they're giving you, they're throwing waters at you. Like, Hey, do you want guys to go out to dinner, you know, show you the whole thing and then get the DVDs going. So yeah, yeah, that's huge. And then we actually got our start from grapplers guide, which uh, works mm -hmm. a little bit with BJJ fans too. He put us on Jason Scully. He put us on years ago and then they kind of Travis Stevens ended up kind of, I think finding out about us through that. And he was like, Hey, you guys are the 10th planet guys. I'm like, that's me. I'm like a <laughs> 10th planet guy, but <laughs> so that's great. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a yeah. blessing. And it's just, a, that's just another one of those things that I'm trying to like, you know, gets the, the word out there and it does bring us some money too. So, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about something really interesting here, which is the building of the network. And as you begin to go and talk to people and have these conversations and you're learning, and sometimes things are making you money and sometimes you're learning and uh, it's, it's really important to do that and to network. Um, Mike Zenga, Travis Stevens, you know, these are Eddie, these are world-class guys. You yeah. know, you're, you're in this network of world-class teachers, competitors, coaches, Olympic athletes, you know, Rich Byrne, Matt Cully, guys performing at the top of their industries, small, Rich is actually performing at the top of his industry and yeah, all types of industry. banking <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and commercial lending and all the things that he's, he's, a, he's been in CEO of Deutsche Bank. And so, you know, we're illustrating a great point here to young guys that build your network, get out there, meet people, fly across the country and go pick Eddie Bravo's brain. If you can get up to Boston and, uh, and train with Mike Zenga and Travis Stevens. You know, most of these guys with their academies, the door is open. I heard yeah. Keenan Cornelius say something recently, which really resonated with me. 
he said so many guys reach out to him and ask him questions and like they want permission to like come. They're like, oh, I want to come train with you. And he said something really, he goes, just come. He's like, I have a school, the schedule, schedule is posted and anybody can come walk through the door and take my class, be respectful, be a good guy. And I thought that that was a really beautiful sentiment for doing things and kind of what you were just talking about a few minutes ago, where it's, yeah, you can go talk to people endlessly for hours, but eventually you have to take action off of yeah. what you're trying to learn and trying to get better. And something that I've developed, but I honestly started very early in life. I was very fortunate to have great mentors and I, my father was amazing at this, but networking is so critical. Yeah. But knowing all these guys is not enough. Like just knowing them and having your, like, if you want to make jujitsu your life and you want to have a video on BJJ fanatics or start a successful Academy, you have to go and you, you got to start like you did. So let me, let me ask you a question. What was it like when you were starting this, you know, making this transition, were you working before and then you left your full-time job? Yeah. So I kind of had like a weird thing. Cause I was full-time when I was a teenager for, you know, competing and stuff like I was doing, but you know, I live with my parents. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And then I was working at one of the Tiger showmen. So I was making money there and I was able to afford my own apartment and stuff. And then, you know, then I kind of like at the time, this was like 2004, there wasn't really an avenue for me to, even if I opened up a school, I don't think they even called it MMA back then. So uh, it might've been still no holds barred or NHB. So there really wasn't, a way that I felt like I could make money. Like I was just telling a story the other day. I actually had a guy offer me a school like back then, like he's like, Hey, I'll put 10 grand or 15 grand up. We'll put some mats in. But I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I didn't know what to, mm -hmm. I didn't even know what to expect. And then I worked for a long time. I, I got my uh, uh, four year degree from uh, DeSales in uh university in uh, Allentown, or I think, mm -hmm. it's, I think it's definitely Allentown, Pennsylvania, but um. And uh, it's a good school. And I went for criminal justice because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And um, I was still doing martial arts, you know, almost full time, but still competing at Naga and Rapper's Quest and stuff like that to try to keep my name out there. And uh, I, I wasn't sure whether I was going to fight again. I just didn't know. But I started, uh, you know, I started working full time. Then I was like, all right, I'll work a little bit at the martial arts school. I'll do, you know, my full time job there. And then maybe I'll become a probation officer because I always I teach the kids classes still. And I, I know a lot of guys push their kids class off to like purple belts and stuff. But I like to be involved with the older kid. The younger kids, they're not ready for me yet. But the older kids, I treat them like adults. So I want to be you know, still involved with them. So I like working kids. So I'm like, all right, you know, let me, let me get a job as a probation officer. So I worked as, I wasn't a PO yet, but um, I got right at the time when I got my four year degree, I just decided, uh, like I said, I went through kind of a breakup and I was kind of, you know, I left, I had a house and car and stuff. And I kind of, I, I had kept my car, but I, I was leaving my house and I was like, I'm going to go live with my buddy for a while. Maybe I'll get my own apartment. And then I was like, wait a minute. And um, I know it sounds stupid, but um. That was uh, like I was I didn't have cable. So I had like a bunch of DVDs. So I was watching uh, the movie Fight Club and I was one of like I had a bunch of Simpsons DVDs and then Fight Club and maybe The Matrix or something. And I was watching. It was stupid. But I just remember because I was down and out, you know, and I was watching uh, Fight Club and he was like the one quote he said was, it's only when you've lost everything, you're free to do anything. And I was mm -hmm. like. I just heard that and I was like, you know, it's from a movie. So it's corny or whatever. But I was like, oh, man, that's it's actually interesting. I don't really have anything going on so i was like i got a college degree so i feel like i always could fall back on it and you know i wasn't that bad in debt so i was like you know what why don't i just jump into this and see what happens and i 
Um, like I said, my partner, JM, I started it with him and I knew a couple of guys and I was like, all right, it was like, I was ra- like rounding up like a group of the bad news bears. I'm like, oh, you can box. Uh, this guy over there can do this. Let's get all these guys together and we'll, we'll try to, uh, you know, try to, to start our own thing. I, I definitely had resistance from a lot of people, like even high school, college friends are like, are you sure you're all right, man? Like you, you want to live in the back of the dojo? You want to do all that stuff? And like, I was kind of fun and it's, it's not like, um, you know, it's not as bad as what people think, you know, it, you're definitely taking a risk, you know, and I, it was like an interesting situation that I was in. I know a lot of people, they get themselves so deep into one life where it's hard to leave. And like, it's hard to quit a hundred thousand dollar job or an 80 or $70,000 job and go back to making maybe 30, 30 grand a year as a jiu-jitsu instructor. If yeah. you're not like, you know, JT Torres or Gordon Ryan or, or one of these guys, like if you're just Joe Schmo and you know, it's, it might be tough if you have the right area, maybe, but it's tough for people to quit that job. So once I was like without anything to do and I didn't really have a house or anything to pay for, I was like, you know what? I'm in an interesting situation where I think some people would be mad at me if I didn't go for it because it would be like, you're the only one who can, we got kids and a family and all this stuff. I can't quit my job. I got responsibilities and I didn't really have the responsibilities. So I figured take a stab at it which is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit different from uh, the way a lot of people start. Sometimes your back is put against the wall and sometimes you put your back against the wall so that you're forced to take action. And if you're at the point in your life where you don't have a girl and you don't have a house and you don't have kids, it's a lot easier to go take that risk. Yeah. Uh, Once you start adding in all those different layers and you're addicted to the job and you're addicted to the Netflix and you're addicted to all the things, uh, it becomes harder and harder and harder to take those risks and, and really start something. It's not impossible. People do it all the time. Yeah. But uh, it's great that you did. And, you know, you had a, you know, color, a colorful story, you know, all that stuff going on in your life. It's it funny. I, a similar point in my life, you know, I got out of a long-term relationship and I thought my world was ending at the time. Yeah. Now I look back on it and I, I laugh, you know, it's like, it's crazy to think how, how much time I wasted stressing about it. Exactly. But it was formative because it set me on the direction of learning and self self growth and and reading and doing all this other stuff that made me you know successful beyond my expectations. So. All those experiences for people they should be treasured. It's like tapping out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to. How, how far are you going to get in jujitsu if you don't ever tap? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think some people too be that they're embarrassed if something happens, you know, where they, they won't just own it. And like, I feel like that's the kind of thing that I've always done in my life. Like if someone makes fun of me, I'll just make fun of myself. Like if something bad happens, like you just gotta, you know, obviously, you know, there's things that are going to, you know, you're going to have to grieve over, but sometimes you can just kind of like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So what I live in the back of the dojo, what do you want? You know? And then people are yeah. like, oh, right. Because who really cares what people think in the long run? If it ends up working out now, I know people who criticize what I was doing back then and were like, oh man, he's going to be, when it fails, I'm, I feel worried. I'm worried about him and all this stuff. And now that we're doing good, they're like, hey man, how can I help? <laughs> I could be mad at him, but it's like, yeah, what? who cares? They didn't know. They were just really, they were worried about me, but they just didn't know how to express it, I feel, you know? Yeah. It is amazing. You brought up that you were at this moment around 2004 and- the UFC first season of the ultimate fighter, Forrest Griffin versus, um, uh, whatever his guy's uh, name was. Yeah. Um, the first I don't know why that was escaping me. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of like, that was always 
I remember watching that first season of The Ultimate Fighter, and that is how I, you know, really learned about jujitsu and mixed martial arts, and fell in love with it, and just wanted to be around it. And went out and found a, a guy who trained, and I started training in his basement. That was my own, you know, that's how I found it. He then, when I graduated from college in 2008, he opened a jujitsu gym, and uh, he was managing my sensei, who is a, a, a MMA fighter. And uh, do you know Nardu Debra? Have you ever? Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? A funny story is um, I actually I could I don't have I don't have it here. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll message it to you. But I was actually set up to uh, fight him in an MMA fight probably in like 2002 one time. Um, he had fought one of my teammates, uh, Elvis Garcia. And then he I forget someone else dropped out and I had, had one fight and I was one and oh, and I was I'll take the fight. And Tiger Showman at the time was like, hey, man, that guy's pretty big and he's got a lot of experience. He's like, Maybe he's yeah. that tough guy. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> I'm just like, I just wanted to fight anybody, you know? Yeah, Sensei Nardu is the consummate martial artist. He yeah. is a, a true samurai. Every part of his life is about art and martial arts. And it's, he's, uh, so when, when I came out of school, he was already a black belt under Henzo Gracie and John Danahar. And that was in 2009. And, Which you know, we were reverse in time back to 2004 around the time when, you know, I remember like the Noah Holds Bar t-shirts and you, you're yeah. so right. I remember when in being in college going to a, an NHB event, you know, yeah. it wasn't MMA. Now that's MMA is, you know, basically taken over. It's an industry. It's a sport. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. But it was so early. It was finding its identity. Um, and I can only imagine First of all, today, if you went and told somebody that you're going to start a gym, they would still, like you said, you're sleeping in a dojo, you're starting in martial arts. What's that? People ask me all the time, I've known, like, you still do that karate thing? And I was like, I, know. I train in you know, <laughs> jiu-jitsu. <laughs> it's like, mom, I've told you a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just an interesting time that you were, you know, taking this risk. I really commend you. And it's, it's much easier now. You know, you and guys like you laid the groundwork for all the people, all the young guys coming up now. It's a lot easier to go and start a gym. And think about it. You, you work with Fuji Mats, right? With uh, Jimmy Pedro. And shout out to Jimmy Pedro, another unbelievable guy and contributor to this podcast. Yeah, and, I, the Fuji guys have the same thing. I've learned so much from those guys, man. They've helped us out, they've helped us out a lot. So, Can you imagine – like? Back in 2004, there was no Fuji mat. It was so no. easy to just go get mats. Jimmy was telling me about how, you know, they set up the importing business from Japan. I just can only imagine in 2004 in the earlier days of the internet, you know, the early days of Google trying to go find a place to buy mats, maybe yeah. buying in like a, a karate catalog. <laughs> yeah, it was weird back then. I mean, even now when I hit up, what's crazy is I hit up uh, Patrick from Fuji. I usually work with him a lot. I hit up Patrick and he just goes, yeah, man, how many do you need? And yeah. I'm like, oh, I need 46 black and I need, you know, 26 gray. He's like, all right, cool. They'll be in a truck next week. And they're like, they got them all over the place. I'm like, and I'm working, you know, I'm working as a rep with them. So I'm out there selling mats all the time. Like, hey, if you need mats, let me know. And then I'll get a call from somebody and they'll be like, dude, we need, uh, you know, $20,000 worth of mats. And I'm like, what? Like some of these people, like we're opening a big school, we're moving. But some of these other schools, like um, uh, uh, Master Victor Davila, he uh, helps Eddie Bravo run uh, the combat jiu-jitsu. And he does the, they used to call him the, uh, um, the Joe Rogan of the, uh, like the Mexican Joe Rogan or whatever, because he was mm. a Mexico broadcast doing the UFC. And um, he 
dude, Master Vic's the man. He bought, he decked out his whole school. And that's where, like, I forget, um, it's called King's MMA. So oh, yeah. um, uh, in El Paso, uh, we yeah. went down there. They had one of the events there. My one uh, kid, Grace, was in it. And um, I went down and I forgot that he asked me, like, hey, who do you get mats from? And I was like, oh, I get them from Fuji. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, talk to my guy. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I hooked him up. And then he bought all the whole place. If I walked in, I was like, I was like, you borrow this stuff? I was like, yes. I like, realized he got it because they got a ring. They got a cage there. And, and uh, you know, the wall pads are all Fuji and stuff. So, like, walking, like, and that same thing. Like, he called him up and, like, you know, on the Patrick's just on the thing. And he makes up, like, a whole diagram where you can, like, 3D scope it. And he's like, yeah, the pads are going to be over here and it's going to be over here. And it's like a whole it's, – it's a science to it, you know? It yeah. really is. Now they're just like building gyms out all over the place. Oh, man. They're doing, uh, I just bought a new house yeah. and they're doing my, I'm doing a, a small basement gym and a nice. yoga room for my wife. Sick. And uh, so I've been going back and forth with Jimmy. And I mean, just talk about world class guys at everything they do. You know, mm -hmm. when, if you watched uh, the Travis Steven podcast on this oh, yeah. one, mm -hmm. it's like he, he fundamentally shifted my view on so many things, uh, his intensity and his, the work ethic. And if you don't have access to the mindset of an Olympian, where would you, where would you otherwise, you know, get that kind of thinking yeah. and, you know, what they brought to that business, the professionalism, the quality, the content, it is like, it is so impressive what they've done because not everybody can take their, you know, their, their sport, the thing that they love. Like I've watched Michael Phelps kind of in the peripheries, like after his swim career and he's like planting his flag as a spokesman and he's representing this brand. And it's not to say that it's not authentic and he's not doing great. And the guy's amazing. You know, I think he's with headspace too. Cause he's, he had a lot of, Oh uh, yeah. Just, I did see that. Yeah. But for Jimmy to go and partner with Fuji and then do what he's done, you know, what, what their team has done with that company is just amazing. And yeah. uh, I'm so impressed. It's huge. And then when, when we meet these guys, like, especially them, that's how I would like to be eventually. And John Jock is like that. And, you know, when I first met Eddie and then when I, we, uh, me and JM, we taught a seminar at the Fuji gym there and Travis, you know, let us teach us, you know, was like, Hey, if you guys are coming down for a DVD, I'd love to have you teach a seminar at the gym. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, you know, we're like nervous a little bit. And then when you meet these guys, it's like that first, you know, obviously Travis is a big guy, but like when you, when you meet them, like they're such nice guys and respectful, but like, you're still a little, like, I was still like a little nervous around them sometimes. I'm like, I just want to like, I don't want to mess up and say something stupid. You know, I want to learn a lot from this guy. So I just want to be able to, to hang around them. You know, we've done yeah. that. We've flown out places just to, you know, be around somebody, you know? So like I would hang out with him as much as I can. You know, I think I, I rolled with him too. And he like took it really easy on me. He was mm -hmm. like, oh, I was like, you're, you believe me with what, like no arms. You know what I mean? He was kicking. <laughs> it was awesome. And you know, he was like, Hey, watch you guys techniques and stuff. I was like, wow, it's, it, it, it's really cool. But like when you, you know, when I feel like I have a little bit of like a guy like that takes notice to it to us, like, I just want to keep, being around them and keep working with them. Cause I feel like that little aura that they put off, I feed off that, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this guy's doing that. Oh, you know, Travis is still training, even though he's got injuries, he's getting work on like, Oh, I need to do that. Or like, I need to do this. Or, you know, when you, you shake their hand, they just got that, you know, you can tell this guy's about business, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I, like I said, just all the people we talked about is so many people that, like you said, you're uh, I'm involved with, or like I'm in the, the realm 
but I need to, you know, you still have to take that action and move forward with like, you know, and sometimes it is just for me, it's like shooting my shot, like, Hey Eddie, can we do this? Or like, you know, just getting that match with, um, so for, uh, for rise invitational, um, Joao Meow needed a, uh, um, uh, dance partner like they wanted to have him for a super fight and like two dudes might have turned the match down or whatever and um i was like you know what um i want that match you know i was like i'd love to have that match like i'm not going to compete that much longer he's my weight i've rolled with him once before i know i can handle my own it's not just he's going to murder me so i asked matt for the match and he was like dude 100 we'd love to put you on and then uh, he was like, but, you know, we got to, you know, you're going to have to come up with a sponsor or whatever. So I came up with sponsors to make sure the match will happen. And people are like, you're nuts. You're coming up with your own sponsors to make this match. I'm like, I want this match, dude. <laughs> people are like, hey, man, like, I want to fight. I'm like, like you said, so fight. Oh, I want to compete. Compete then. You know, like guys come to me all the time. They're like, oh, I want to do a fight. I'm like, okay, here's what you have to do to do a fight. You want to do an MMA fight? Do a kickboxing fight and let me see you compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments if you never wrestled. Like if you wrestled in college or something, you know, amateur, we could talk. You know, well, there might be a different route for you, but you still got to learn how to box. I tell people exactly what to do it and they don't do it. And I'm like, all right, man, that's how you do it. Like you want to match against a high-level guy, sometimes you have to make it happen yourself. He's not going to take a match against – I didn't have the accolades to fight, uh, you know, him. I would have had to get him in a tournament or something like that. And the fact that he needed, you know – whatever he wanted to get paid and they wanted to have the match sponsored. I was like, fine, I'll get the money for the sponsorship. I don't care. I'll, I'll do car washes so I can fight this guy, you know? And not that I wanted to, I have anything against him. I love him. He's, I'm, you know, he's, I have respect for anybody I've competed against. It's just that I wanted to get that rub, even though I knew I would probably not win. Um, yeah. I felt like if I go out there and do good, I'm going to get um, Daniel Cormier uh, said that, like he, he said it was, he called it the rub. Like when you go with someone, that's better than you, even if you can just hang in there a little bit. But even if you lose, you're going to get the rub. Same with, you know, hanging out with Rich Byrne. Like, you know, I'm going, I'm in Kasai going against. Afterwards, I want to talk to him. Like, I'm not going to be, it's a thin line of uh, not being overbearing, like wanting to be up a guy's butt. But I always want to make sure I'm very thankful to the guy. I'm posting up, thank you. I'm telling him all this stuff because I want to hang with them. I want to be involved with those guys. I want to get the rub. And then when I get off that match or get off dealing with that, guy like even if i even if i'm trying to do a business deal and the guy doesn't do the deal but i talk to someone who is like a multi-millionaire i feel like that's like you know getting me that much closer to where i want to be you know it's funny uh i you you just connected those those two things you were talking about before and you connected it with by calling it the rub from daniel Cormier. and what i was going to say to you after you were talking about hanging with all those guys what i always tell my team is when someone has something that I want, like I often use marathon running as a, as a metaphor, rub it all over me. It's like, I want that. I want what you got. How do you do that? Like I have a very, I love to run, but I had to force myself to love to run because I'm so bad at it. I'm big, you know, I'm 6'2", I'm 220. And I just like, my body doesn't work the way it used to. And I could go out for like a two, three mile run. I could get up to like a five mile run, but I just can't yet figure out how to get past it. Yeah, so When I get a marathon runner in front of me, I'm like, what do you do? How do I do it? And what, what do you think they tell me? You just got to run every day, man. <laughs> Go push yourself, work harder, you know, yeah. like fight through the pain. Like it hurts us too. And so, yeah, it's, it's the rub. You know, it, that is, a, that is, I've never heard it put that way. And I'm going to credit you through, through DC, but yeah. I love 
I love that. It's the rub. I mean, I, I always called it rub it all over me, but it's <laughs> that's what it is. When you're yeah. with these guys, when you're hanging out with John Jock, you know, you're you're hanging with Eddie, you know, you're hanging with Rich, you're hanging with Jimmy. These are world class guys. You know, that's what this whole project is about. It's picking their brain, picking your brain and showing the next generation coming up or guys who are just stuck. You know, there's so many guys that I know who are in their 50s who are ready to switch that career. You know, they're, they're a public servant of some kind, maybe a police officer, maybe a fireman. And it's like they're they're about to retire, but they're still so young. And they're like, what's next? They want to start a business. It's like I was thinking about I'm thinking about real estate. I'm thinking about doing a flip. I'm thinking about buying a little uh, apartment building. And so it's like being a white belt all over. And I'm sure you see this too. There's so many guys in their 40s and 50s who come into the gym for jujitsu and they're white belts and they just can't believe that they suck. Yeah. It's, a, like, it's a hard I, shot, you know. I've had I've seen the most, the best for me is seeing my high school buddies who thought it was a joke and they would say things to me like, Oh, you think you can kick that guy's ass? I'm like, look, no, I don't know. I don't know that guy. Does he know jujitsu? I'm like, because if he does, then it's not going to be so easy. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, right. Like you can't do that or whatever. And then a couple, couple of them came and they, they, they ate, they ate it, and they came in and took class. And I remember one of the guys rolling with another one of our guys who's a brown belt now, who's not like an, a model athlete. You know, the, the guy still smokes cigarettes every now and then. Like, you know, I'm trying to get him to quit. He says he did, he didn't. But, you know, you can't deny the guy's jujitsu. He's really good. You know, he's been training for 12 years or something like that. And my other friend was like used to, you know, he was real jack, he used to do steroids, you know what I mean? He was an athlete, played all these different sports. And then when this other guy started putting it on him and he started getting tired, it was like in his eyes, I could see like, this is real, you know? And then after though, he was cool with it though. He like came in and was like, he was like, yo, I went to, he told the other guy we were living with, he's like, yo, I went to jujitsu, turns out it is real, you know? And um, he and then he ended up training, like he was close to getting his blue belt. Um, but now he's got like a face. He says he's got no time. He's got family and stuff. He'll be back eventually. He'll be back though. Cause he was, he said, I got, I got too addicted to it. That's what he said. I, got <laughs> it was crazy. I was thinking about it all the time. And I was like, I hurt my knee. And then, you know, he's like, I was just, it was too crazy. I was, I was letting it control my life. I'm like, all right. Man. So, you know, it's a cool thing though. Like he figured out though, like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You could be a beginner at something. You don't think you are because everybody's got that ego and they're like, ah, I can do better. I can do this or whatever. And then when you go actually do it, like you're like, whoa, like I went, um, just real quick story. I went to like, um, I, I, I'm not into guns, but you know, my dad just kept telling me, get a gun. You should get one gun. And I was like, all right, I'll, I want to try it. Like, I, I want to make sure maybe I need one for home protection, what have you. And I'm definitely afraid of guns. Like they're scary. Like it's, you know, I don't know what the, you know, I don't want to freaking lose it and accidentally hurt someone or whatever. And I'm not like a guy who's walking around with one on my hip or anything weird like that. I just figured I'd get one for protection, whatever. Maybe I'll just have one at the house. It seems like, but when I first went, I went with one of my neighbors and he's an older guy who was in the military and stuff. And when I was there, I was like, it was actually really cool for me. Cause I was like, usually I'm at the dojo. I'm gotta be the guy who's the know-it-all where everybody's every couple of seconds, someone's asking me a question or I'm, I'm now I'm talking to guys about how to run their tournament. And, and it was cool to be like, Hey Frank, how do I do? I, I don't even know. Like you tell me. And I'd rather even err on the side of telling people like, hey, when you don't know something, no way would I ever walk in or not like I know. Like I don't tell guys like do your taxes like this. I'll let the professionals handle that. Like even like I got tattoos. Another good one is you go in there and you tell the guy like, 
oh, I want to have a dragon and I want it shooting out the finisher's logo and I want the Ted Planet. I want Eddie Bravo choking a guy. And the guy <laughs> just looks at you like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, what do you like? And then you're like, all right, I like dragons. Okay, let me, can I do a dragon? And you're like, okay. And if you trust the guy, then yeah, yeah just let him do. Like, I didn't tell my guy what to do. I just said, I like Japanese style. And then he said, okay, let me show you. Like, he showed me and he drew it on me first. But sometimes, like, that was just like, let the professional handle it you know so when you're going into something as a new person you trust someone hey just hey show me what to do i don't i have no idea i love being the beginner guy like i you know i'm holding it you know i'm like doing this with the gun i'm like hey hold it this way this is i've never even i'm 37 years or till i was 35 i've never even i've never loaded a gun you know i was like i want to try it i want to learn something that's kind of scary that i feel like could benefit me eventually why not you know plus you watch movies and stuff and you're like that's you know guys are like that's how it works it's yeah. not how so I'm like a complete beginner in that. You know, I think Joe, I think, uh, you know, uh, Joe Rogan's like that too. He's always into some new thing. Like he's like, I'm doing archery now or I'm doing this or, you know, whatever. And I, I think I, he says all the time, just loves being a beginner. You yeah. know, he loves, he's addicted to being a beginner at something. It's cool to learn stuff. You know, it really is. Cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson to humble yourself and drop the ego and just be, you know, have an expanded mind and be elastic. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, it's, it's good if you want to get good at things and you want to find success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not good if you just want to be stuck yeah. in the all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Uh, you dropped some gems on this, uh, on this podcast. You, uh, you rubbed me, you gave me the rub. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to keep now that's back because I'll forget about it for a while and then I'll be back doing it again. You know what I mean? I'll be back dropping on one again. Cause that, I feel like that really is the, you know, that's like the, the goal of everything. You'd be around those people and next, you know, you're one of those people. That's what I feel. Yeah. Well, congratulations on everything that you've done so far to uh, become one of those people and, um, and also continue on the journey and, you know, share so openly and honestly that it doesn't just come like you have to work at it. You have to go find the people that you want to be around, seek higher ground, ask questions, be of service to them, you know, help them and, uh, and, you know, and do it right. Don't be annoying. You know, don't be an ask hole, A S K H O L E, where you just ask, 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 and you don't take action and you're nobody wants that. But, um, really, really appreciate you, Zach. Here's your Instagram page. Um, and you have a link tree here to find your, uh, all of your business ventures and your school. Yes, sir. And like I said, uh, I hope we stay in touch. If I could be of service to you, please let me know. And I uh, look forward to meeting you in person, maybe doing some training when this yes, crazy is over. So That's what I was going to say. If you, I really appreciate you having me on, man, and, and letting me be mm -hmm. on. Uh, you know, Even on the list of the guys that you've had on the podcast, it's awesome to see my name up there. It's gonna be you are uh, very much deserving of uh, being a contributor to this project. And I have a, pro I have a, a real estate property a shopping center out in Somerset, Pennsylvania, Oh, okay. so whenever I drive from New York to Somerset, which is usually once or twice a year, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to be stopping. Yeah. Hit me up. Let me know. Like I said, we're, we're just, uh, this weekend, we're moving our facility to a, a 12,000 square foot place. It's wow. insanely big. Yeah. We got a really good deal. It used to be a family fun center and now it's got two huge rooms. Uh, we're going to have a dedicate, we're going to have a ring cage coffee shop in there. It's going to be awesome. So and we got a really good deal on it. So I'm inviting everybody. Like if you hear this and like you said, if you really want to get good and you want to train, I got some of the best guys in the world, John blank, 
uh, Grace Gundrum, JM, and some of my new guys, Renee, and all the uh, younger guys on the way up. And we just got a lot of local people training with us. So if any of you guys want to come train and get good, and, and you know, I'd love to learn off you. So come through to school, uh, finishersmma.com. And um, yeah, you just hit me on Instagram, man. Thanks again, Jordan. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate you, Zach. Have a good one.